We welcome you back to our assembly and invite your attention to the book of Isaiah. My Bible is open to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. I want to read the text and then say something to us about it. Make a New Testament connection to the text and then bring home some applications for each of us to take out of the building into our lives. All of this concerns God and what He revealed through the prophet Isaiah about His Son, our Savior. And this was revealed and written long before the birth of the Savior. Listen carefully, please. Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore 
the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. If the truth revealed in this passage <clears throat> ever slips away from our conviction and our passion, we are really in trouble. If the basis of our salvation is ever minimized or distorted or just forgotten, that's a signal of alarming movement away from God. What can we do to prevent such dreadful movement? We can go back repeatedly to passages like this where the prophet spoke the truth about the Savior and what the Savior did for us. So certain to the prophet that this would come to pass, he wrote it as if in the past tense. Each time we return to this, we ought to be refreshed in our gratitude and our love for Jesus Christ. So look with me tonight at Isaiah chapter 53. Now, there are some places in the Old Testament prophetic books that present us with some difficulty. <clears throat> if you've been reading this summer in Daniel and in Ezekiel, you've come to passages that have presented you with some difficulty in understanding all the details, though the main idea is generally clear. This text does not come with any difficulty. It is one of those passages in the prophetic books that just outlines itself, making it very easy to study and get a good hold on. So look with me at this in verses 1 to 3, what men saw and how men reacted to the Savior. And then in verses 4 through 6, what the Savior did, it could be said what He did anyway. The third part of it in verses 7 through 9, how the Savior reacted to all this rejection. And then it concludes in verses 10 through 12 with an acknowledgement that all of this is the will of the Lord. God enabled Isaiah to know this <clears throat> and to write about this long before the Savior was born. So in that first section, in that top paragraph, Isaiah reports how men saw the Savior and how they reacted to Him. The Jews generally expected a king in a worldly sense. With all the ceremony of a public coronation, the ordinary protocols of royalty accompanied by the conquest of enemy nations and setting up a government on earth. That's what many of the Jews dreamed about and contemplated. When the Savior came and was baptized by John the Baptist and began His public preaching and performing miracles, Many of the Jews couldn't believe this would be their king, son of a carpenter from Galilee. He was despised. He was rejected by men. Jesus Christ, the Savior, was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. The typical Jewish opinion was he had no form or majesty. He was not the king 
They had dreamed about most of the Jews. But what did the Savior do? Here's what the Savior did. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Think about this. If you were sent on a mission to do a job for the benefit of a group of people, but the people you were sent to help rejected you, what would your response be? I think the typical human response would be to walk away. I came to help you. If you don't want my help, if you're going to reject me, I'm gone. Not Jesus. Because one, what he came to do was assigned to him by the Father. And two, there was no other way for the people to be helped. And there were some people who wanted to be helped and who received him. So, though he was rejected by men, here's what he did. Here's what the Savior did. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded for us in his suffering and on the cross. In verse 6, the prophet says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Next, Isaiah describes how the Savior reacted to this rejection. We're in verses 7 through 9. How did Jesus react to all this? He was oppressed and he was afflicted. What did he do? He opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Look at that phrase. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth, and it says he opened not his mouth. Now, I'd call that discipline. But it's more than just raw discipline. It is thorough commitment to the Father's plan. It is mercy extended toward those who deserved no mercy. This is really the gospel in Isaiah, written before Jesus came. And it was the will of the Lord. Verse 10, 11, and 12. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, 
He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. The Savior, Jesus Christ, executed in the most difficult circumstances on earth, the will of of the Lord. Now, what do we learn from this and how do we how do we apply all of this? We learn how he suffered and how we need to learn that. What did the Savior go through for us in order for us to come out of sin into fellowship with God? Isaiah's writing here is dramatic, it is emotional. But it's historical. Isaiah wrote what we can read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. About how the Savior was so despised and rejected and disregarded. This intensity of emotional and physical pain that he endured for us to get out of sin can rightly be the subject of our devotional thoughts when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Yet, it ought to have additional impact outside of those five or ten minutes on the first day of the week. In His suffering, He carried our sorrows and bore our griefs. Should I not take that thought with me into all of the avenues of life? With gratitude and with such force of gratitude toward God for what He did, I obey Him, thinking that I cannot do less. He died to get me out of sin and enable me to go to heaven. While it's true He died for all sinners, that generic universal scope of what He did must not be the limits of my devotional thought about His suffering. I need to think He died for me so I can be forgiven. When I respond to Him, I can go to heaven. Prophecies like this remind us of how He suffered for me, for you. So we should esteem Him. That means to hold high, to honor, to respect. Today, we are not wound up in that Jewish perception of desiring a worldly king with military might to crush an earthly empire like the Roman nation. We have the testimony of the entire Bible to inform and enlighten us about our need and God's perfect response to our need. The prophet's portrayal of the Christ enables us to esteem Him highly for His person and work and the hope we can embrace. May honor and praise and glory be given to Him reverently in our assemblies and from our hearts and through the influence and example of our lives. We should love Him. 
When I say something, or a preacher or teacher says something about we should love him, I suspect strongly there is one spiritual hymn that comes to mind somewhere during the time when I say we should love him. Jesus loves me. Have you ever noticed, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, the song is not Jesus loves us, though that is true. It was written to be taken personally. Jesus loves me. Why did he go through everything the prophet depicts in this chapter? Love for his Father and love for sinners. Jesus loves me and because of inspired writers like Isaiah, I can take that in. I can confess that. And I can take that with me into my life. And that should motivate my love for Him. We should serve Him. Gratitude, esteem, love should all lead to daily obedience, serving Him. Several years ago, I heard the story about a lady who was asked one time, what do you do? And she said, I'm a secretary. And she said, when I tell people this, they sometimes look at me with a certain pity. But when they find out who I am a secretary for, the president, they open their eyes with admiration. In other words, we often define service jobs based on who we are serving. As Christians, we are serving the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one God sent to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. When Paul wrote about workers or servants in Ephesians 6 and verse 7, he said, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. And that's because you ought to be serving the Lord. What a privilege to serve Jesus Christ in everything we do, knowing that He served us under great intensity of pain. He served us, sheep who had gone astray, by being oppressed, rejected, stricken, and bearing the load of our iniquity on the cross. He deserves our best. I promised you when I started that I would make a New Testament connection. Well, the first New Testament connection is that Isaiah 53 is about the Savior. And you can read this fulfilled in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There is another very significant New Testament connection. As I conclude, would you open with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And if you have the English Standard Version, I will be reading verse 37 from the footnote. This is in Acts chapter 8. And I'm going to start reading at verse 26 in just a moment. We've been looking at this passage back in the Old Testament about the Savior, written by Isaiah long before the Savior was born. After Jesus came to the earth, after His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, there was this man 
who had been to Jerusalem, who heard about Jesus, and on his way home decided to read more about him. And he did. I'm in Acts 8, 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go down toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. And Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So Isaiah wrote about the Savior. The Savior came, fulfilled all the prophecy we've studied from Isaiah 53, then after Jesus had ascended back into heaven, this man from Ethiopia learned about the suffering Savior, believing in Him. He was baptized, and here's the result. He went on His way rejoicing. What a marvelous thing God did in His grace and love to make a way for us to be lifted from sin by the wounds and stripes of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. He deserves our best.